0: So welcome to episode four of the Coaching Youth Football Podcast. Today we have uh, Pete Prickett with us, uh, author of Developing Skill, A Guide to 3v3 Soccer Coaching. Welcome, Pete. Thanks for having me. Um, Could you just kick us off with a brief introduction to how you got into coaching um, and what your football journey looks like so far, please?
1: Uh, There was a recession and I had to, it was about 2008 and I was involved in, uh, property at the time and um, I just literally bought a place to do some work on it and we had the crash in the market and I'm like I need to, get to do something else so I was directed towards IT like, oh there's always jobs in IT go and try that out yeah okay went to an agency they told me how long it would take and how much it would cost and I turned around and went I actually don't like computers enough to do that But then I was watching Soccer AM and Max Rushton was doing his level one. And I sat there and thought, if they told me it would take that long and cost that amount to do my coaching badges, would I say no? No, I I would do it. Hmm. So that's what directed me towards coaching. Okay. Um, And then I got quite fortunate that one of my friends was doing some work with Rachel Yankee and um, and she had a grassroots club I gave her a call volunteered did level one did level two she then asked me oh we've got some sessions would you, would you like to do them uh, I was quite reluctant at first but then as time went on I did a session here another session and before I knew it, I was working every day doing coaching um, and from there Moved grassroots club to another one. Moved on from from Rachel after a few years to where I am now at uh, at Brentford.
0: Okay, and what age group do you work with at Brentford?
1: Um, well, I work with all of them in a way, but my main age groups are the under eights and the under thirteens. This season, last season, I had the under elevens and the under twelves.
0: Okay. Cool. So you wrote a book uh, called Developing Skill, A Guide to 3v3 Soccer Coaching, um, and I understand you're writing a a second book on that as well. What led you to focus specifically on 3v3 games? So within
1: uh, the curriculum and syllabus that we were using, we had a section that was called 1v1, 2v2, and 3v3. And this was the first time it was being used. While I was doing it, I found... One v one's great. Love one v one. No issues with that. I found two v two to be quite limited. And uh, the Lye. line, it was very linear. Um, there wasn't that much you could do. With it. it was either you could either have depth or width. You couldn't have both. Right. Yeah. Whether that's offensively or defensively. So I decided to focus on three v three, where that extra player allows you to create the depth and width. So most of what happens in the normal game, the full size game can actually be reproduced in a 3v3 situation. Okay. Obviously there are certain caveats to that such as playing with more length and distance, but do we always want that and do we necessarily want that for young players? Not necessarily not not really. Not really. And I say in the book don't just play 3v3 So use it as a part of a wider curriculum. So players get to experience those different formats. Don't just focus on one thing. But if you're going to play small-sided, play 3v3. And I know a lot of people go, well, you do that in 4v4. And I would agree. But then when I was working at grassroots level, doing 4v4s, I saw kids hide. Even in a 4v4, I'd see them disappear. You don't see it so much in 3v3. It's just maths, isn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. one ball between eight versus one ball between six. Mm -hmm. So I felt and do feel that it was the smallest number of players to get as close to the game as possible and also get more touches per player.
0: Okay. So you've got more touches, the ability to have width and depth. What are the other sort of key... Benefits to the player themselves um, if you're trying to teach something uh, in, a, in a 3v3, would you say?
1: Uh, you don't get third-man runs in 2v2, obviously.
0: Yeah, no, another maths thing. Another <laughs> math thing.
1: But you will get third-man runs off the ball. You can get overlaps. Uh, you can get support play. And the big thing is, for me as well is triangles. Yeah. The game is built around triangles. Some will say diamonds, but obviously a diamond is just two triangles.
0: Stuck together. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So if we are getting players used to triangles quite early on, we can get passing without necessarily explicitly coaching passing, but we'll also get more 1v1s. Mm-hmm. We'll get 1v2s. We'll get 1v3s. So those were the benefits for that player, and these scenarios will create decisions for them to make, and everyone is after that decision maker at the moment.
0: Yeah, and in terms of the coach, um, what what are uh, the key benefits uh, from the coach's point of view of um, of you know setting up three v three pack practices, would you say? So it occurred to me that it's much easier to observe six players trying to do something very specifically than it is, uh, I don't know, 6v6, six six, and right. then just being able to see all of that happen at the same time. Especially yeah. as, it, as perhaps a, a newer coach, the observational skills obviously come with time and practice.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes games can be really fast, and it's hard to, to see what's happening. If it's played at a really high tempo, you'll miss stuff. I and mean, then you're trying to watch 12 players. Sometimes what we do, by watching everything, we see nothing. Yeah. But if we're watching for smaller numbers and specific players or, or groups, we see more and we can actually be more effective. One of the things that I tried to do was make the setups as simple as possible. And avoid being complicated while still being able to be complex because the game is complex. Do we necessarily need complicated patterns and rules in order to get learning out? Not always. Sometimes we might. Sometimes there might be good reasons to do it, but a lot of the time, simplifying the game will help. And if we create an environment and a setup where the the simple rules and the simple adaptation of the pitch will get a lot of learning out we may not have to coach explicitly that much.
0: And Are you talking about using the conditions of the game in order to, to bring the topic up?
1: Yes. Yeah. So a classic is line ball or, or a game with end zones. We're, we're working on passing. So by taking away the goals, taking away the attractor of the goal, we straight away create a situation where the only way for them to score is by breaking a line with either a pass or dribble. So therefore, right, they've got two ways of scoring now. I want them to score more goals through passing than through dribbling. So a dribble's worth one point, a pass is worth three points. So they can still score in that way, but the extra points should give an, an extra incentive for them to be looking for that. And that way I don't have to explicitly tell them you have to pass, no stop, you should be passing there. And then we can look at questioning as and when required. And that's one of the other objectives of creating this book or this method was that we want to give them opportunities to breathe as players, but also have opportunities to coach when needed rather than coaching all the time and they have no space to breathe as players and okay. find their own way
0: okay so um, i'm just thinking that you know perhaps if you're a grassroots coach and you might have 10 players uh, turn up you might not have an assistant um how would you how would you sort of, or how could you rather um, sort of design three v three practices with one coach and ten players, or, or let's keep the numbers simple. Let's just say it was twelve players. You
1: don't have to. You yeah. just play, just do, just play five v five if you want to. Mm. Depends on the age. If you, but if you want to stick to the, to the three v three idea, someone has asked me this before. What? Oh, you're three v three. I've got ten players. What I do? Well, play five v five if you want, right? But you can have. You can play 3v3 in the middle and you can have two 1v1s on the side and you can swap them in and out. But be careful on the minutes because 1v1 is quite long and tiring. Yeah. That's one alternative. I have a section in the book where I kind of say, call it breaking the rules where you have the same 3v3 principles. So I've got 10 players. Okay, let's put two goalkeepers in. Still 3v3 in the middle. Let's put two floaters or neutral players on the sides it's going up and down so we've got them overlapping up and down or available for passes it's still 3v3 in the middle of the pitch you've just added these players around the outside as one example okay. if you've got 12 players and i often do i just have two pitches next to each other and i can look between the two pitches and that can be really good for the kids as well because actually while you are looking at one pitch they feel the freedom of being left alone so they can they're not unsupervised they're not left to their own devices but they are not being stared at yeah and sometimes just having an adult constantly looking at them can be enough to inhibit them and we we want them to be less inhibited and more free and more creative well i certainly do
0: yeah okay so so could you perhaps give us um, an idea of how your session structure might look in terms of whether it's constant variable um uh, random or whole part whole whatever you, you might do and then how 3v3 games might um sort of find themselves into that session plan I'm
1: going to give the the classic, it depends answer. Um, mm. With uh, I'll go with the under eights. Okay. So quite often, the first thing that will happen will be a game. So I will have two pitches set up, ready to go. As they arrive, they'll start playing on one of the two pitches. When I've got enough players that both pitches pitches are starting to fill i will then stop and then normally i because these group these players like it i do a skill of the week with them
0: okay which just before we got to the skill of the week can i just ask why do you start with a game just what's the the thought process there
1: for me it's engagement yeah it's and it's also very easy to set up for me in my opinion um
0: Especially There's also the element of um, they don't want to be late if they know that it's going to be football from minute one. See, a lot I know that's the parents' thing, but they might be on their parents' to be out the door a little bit more sharp, I A lot of people have offered up that theory,
1: right? But I'm unsure about that. It's a nice idea that they're going to come earlier because they know they're going to get games game straight away. But in, I think what if they're going to be late, they're going to be late. Okay. Especially, as you, you've alluded to, under eight, it's not the kid; it's the parent. Mm. You can't you can't tell an under eight off for being late because it's their, they they're not getting on the bus themselves, are they? It's the parent who's taking them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we'll we'll start with a game, um, and it's it, they. If you're doing an evening session, they've probably just been at school all day. They, realistically, I don't care how old they are, they're not coming to training because they want to train. They're coming because they want to play football. Yeah. So, giving them a game straight away, they're onside. They're, they're not going to cause problems. They're not going to be asking the classic question, when are we going to have a game? Yep. Although I have to say, with when, I, when I'm doing lots of 3v3 coaching, I do get the question, when are we going to have a big game? Okay. And this that, yeah. That's often what comes at the end. But it's interesting which players ask that question. Generally, especially with the grassroots kids, it's the ones who are the better or the physically stronger players who ask for a big game. At the development centre, I don't get that question.
0: Right. Interesting. Okay, sorry, so you were saying about skill of the week.
1: Yeah, skill of the week, um, which I introduced to them when first session I said to them, so, show me, name a move. I've got blank looks, gave them a few moments, still got blank looks. I'm like, okay, show me some moves. Uh, still blank. Like, okay, fine. So that first week, uh, I set up a um, skills corridor. Yeah. Um, and I taught them a McGee spin. And then each week, we've built it up, built it up, and built it up. There uh, are people who are critical of this method, saying that it doesn't transfer. Um... The only thing that I would say is that what happened every time was I get someone, one or two even kids, coming in and saying the next week, oh, I did uh, I did a ball stand in the game last week. Like, brilliant. So if it doesn't transfer and they didn't know what a ball stand was the previous week and they've done it in a game, it must transfer.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think with something complex like that, especially in the younger age group, then players need to sort of work out how are they going to move their limbs yeah. uh, and, and their the, body and in order their, to make that happen.
1: And their proprioception yeah, of what's going on around them.
0: Yeah. Um, so linked to that... to so that like constant variable random on that skill might be the way to, tr- to make it transfer into yeah. the game, right?
1: So linked to that, I'd normally... Uh, this would depend on... Here's, here's where it might vary between the grassroots under eights and the development center under eights. Mm-hmm. with the, the With the grassroots under eights, I might put one or two defenders in there and do things like throwing a, a bib at the ball to take it away and then we swap and that sort of thing. But with the development center, I go straight into 1 v1, so we miss the uh, variable and we go straight to the random right? of the 1v1.
0: What do you mean by throwing a bib at a ball?
1: So, a defender would hold a, cr- a
0: screwed-up bib in, in
1: their hand, mm-hmm. and in order to swap with that player, so the one who's dribbling then becomes the defender, they throw the bib and try and hit the ball. Right. If they don't hit the ball, they don't swap. Okay. If, if they hit the player's leg, they don't swap. So, that player... Has to shift the ball away
0: from the bib. Got it. Okay. Um, so, so you've 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 done your game. Uh, you've introduced a skill of the week. What might come next, and, ha- and ha- where does three v three come so, into so that session? So the next
1: thing would be one v one.
0: Okay. Um.
1: And uh, something that would fo- allow and focus on one v one. Because one of my bugbears is. Saying that we do ball manipulation and then they go and do a rondo. Or right? well, why have you just done ball manipulation? Why have you just worked on these moves? They need an opportunity to then use those moves. And see if they can use those moves in, in competition. So I'll do something that's 1v1 related. After that, that's when a 3v3 related practice will come in. And there are different types of practice within the book. Some are more more session like so they would have more of a focus on a piece of play be it a recovery run or an overlap or a set and shot and there are some that are more game like with certain restraints and constraints so what I would generally do would be we do the one that is more pattern-like, but there's normally a defender or two involved, and then go into something that is closer to a game and probably finish with that because it's normally close enough to a game for it to be their game.
0: Yeah. Okay. So um, so let's let, if we take a, a topic, um putting you on the spot here, but let's just take any topic. You can pick whichever topic you like. Um, how would you perhaps then go through that session planning, bringing th- uh, 1v1, 2v2, 3v3 in, and leading it up to be close enough, as you say, to, um, to a game for the, for the players to, to feel that they've played their game? So, so any topic you like, because-
1: with, with, the, with the younger players, sometimes the topic is more the game itself. So anything that is specific is a bonus, so our focus is more on them playing and we want to stay on the ball. So looking at under eights, it'll be dribbling based. So everything will have a dribbling thread running through it. So making that close enough to the game, if it's dribbling, we'll probably just finish with the game. Uh, although on the way up to there, I talked earlier about a line ball style situation where breaking that line and dribbling into that end zone would be a point
0: mm-hmm.
1: or the goal is slightly bigger than normal and to score they dribble through it or we have too many goals at the end and they dribble through that to score Yeah. so that is making it a game it's 3v3 but you score by dribbling through Okay. so it's directional but the next stage would probably then be let's just put move the goals in together and have normal goals or we can score by shooting into those mini goals and that's where we get we tie the topic to the game and make it more game-like
0: okay so when you're you're starting your session planning um i know we were talking um off air just just beforehand but um and i know you start with a blank sheet of paper but but what, what are the first things that you're thinking of um when you're when you're starting to uh, put a session plan together. What are kind of the, the guiding principles, if you like, that you always start with when you've got that blank sheet of paper?
1: Well, before I start, my philosophy, for want of a better word, my football philosophy revolves around the idea that it is easier to teach a dribbler to pass when they are older than it is to teach a passer to dribble. Yeah because in in my opinion it's a mindset so if i have been a dribbler from a young age when i see an opponent at 14 or 15 i'm going to think yeah no problem i can go past them whereas if i've been a passer all the way through i see an opponent in front of me and i go "Mm, don't fancy that and i give the ball to someone else so my options straight away become more limited So one of the things that I will have in my head is there needs to be an opportunity to dribble or pass. Hopefully from that we get decision making. So that will be there. The next thing will be I want to have small sided games. Hopefully 3v3s. If not, can we work on something else? Or can we work in another way? Um, And I'll also be thinking about what we've done previous weeks. So if we're coming up towards the end of a block, I might decide that what we're going to do is we're going to go around in a carousel and we'll have two teams. I've got 12 players. We'll have two teams. We'll have a 3v3 game there. We'll have a panna box there, we'll have a 1v1 here, and we'll add all the scores up. So we start looking at like the social side of things, and they have to decide who's playing where. So we're exploring other aspects of the game, but I'm talking about the younger players here. With the older players, it will be more linked to the curriculum, where we're at in that curriculum, what. That block is so it could be a, def- a block on defending. Uh, so if I know the players fairly well, which I should do with the under thirteens, how do they defend? What they what do they need to look at? Uh, do we need to think about pressing? Yes, we might do. Okay, so from there, what does pressing look like at that age? And I will see if we can use three v three. For pressing and there are some practices for that and they will situate somewhere in the middle of the session rather than at the end of the session because with the older age group we will definitely finish with a larger numbered game because that's closer to what they play
0: okay so so the way i, I start a session is i, I look at um, an 11v11 11 11 pitch um, usually in tactical pad or something like that i put 11 reds on 11 blues on I then try and move them into roughly where they would likely be in a game when this topic sort of presents itself and then I reduce the players in the space accordingly to end up with a small-sided game so that wouldn't always be 3v3 would you use something similar to that so if you were working with um, maybe your older players maybe your are under 13s might have more position specific potentially um, if you were trying to work with your midfield three uh, would you use a similar process uh, to try and figure out how that game's going to look um, as close to the 11th...
1: Yeah, what I should say is that certainly if we're looking at the latter part of the the session where the deeper aspects of the topic will come out, we're trying to make it close to what they will play in which case you have to start with a pitch and you have to start with positions so if i'm working on defending and defending crosses for example i've got to have two center backs and a goalkeeper otherwise you're going to lose the realism um so and then linked to that if it's all about defending crosses well how are we defending the crosses do you want to start do you want to cut the crosses out or do you want to actually deal with the ball in if we want to deal with the ball in we've got to have players who are going to deliver we've got to have players who are going to attack that ball if we're going to then think about no actually we want to stop the ball in I need fullbacks or wide players who can get out there to do that otherwise we have an unrealistic and not related to the topic session yeah so, you got yes, you have to start with the pitch, the players, and what it would actually look like in reality.
0: Going back to what you said a few minutes ago, you said um, it's easier to teach a dribbler how to pass than it is to mm. teach a passer how to dribble. Totally agree with that. But I think a lot of grassroots coaches might have the problem that if they've got a team of dribblers they're annoying each other basically because they won't share the ball. Now I know a, y- a younger age group, um, you know, the, the, the sharing thing isn't big anyway, mm. and it takes a while for that to happen. But how would you? Uh, what what advice could you give for coaches that are trying to have the same philosophy as you and they, and they want to um, encourage people to be brave on the ball and to take players on and you know to to dribble, but they also have a, a, a team to manage um, where that might not. Be great. I mean, you might even have pressure from parents saying, "Little Johnny never passes the ball," and you know it's getting on my son's nerves and and, and all the rest of it. What well, have you had experience? Oh yeah, with I've had
1: experience of that. Um, I have turned round and said, "Get the rules and show me where in the rules it says you have to pass the ball."
0: Hmm.
1: And they can't normally. There's normally not much of an answer to that because it's not. You don't have to pass the football. It's not in there. I will, I don't have a problem with it. If, they're, if this player is greedy then great no problem when the other player gets the ball they've got the same opportunity to be greedy we might if they're at an advanced stage I talked about the decision making earlier we might try and work on that awareness to play a pass and I try and have elements of my practice that involve chaos so Forcing awareness on players is normally a, a fool's errand. So it's like I've seen coaches set it up where the players are receiving the ball and they tell them, you've got to check your shoulder before you receive. And I said, but there's no one there. They know there's no one there. Why are they going to check their shoulder? <laughs> if you really want them to check the shoulder, put a defender in there. And then they will check because they need to know where it, where they are. And if they don't check, they'll soon find out about it because they'll be tackled. So if if we have chaotic situations where there's a lot going on, they have to be aware. Otherwise, similar is going to happen. They're going to run into people. They're going to be tackled from somewhere where they haven't seen it. And by increasing that awareness, they will start to see where other players are. And most of the time, I think players don't pass because actually they don't see the player to pass to. They've got attentional blindness where they're just focused on their dribbling to the point where they don't see them. And I hate the phrase head up because to me it means looking at the sky they're staring at the ball and they're staring at the player immediately in front of them and if you're doing that obviously you're not going to see what's around you if we've got a chaotic situation the game is a chaotic situation we need to be observant there's a practice that I I do where the kids I go oh it's like it's like crossy road yeah it is like crossing the road you need to see what's around you and when you see what's around you you can release the ball if you choose yeah it's got to be if you choose Um, there's sometimes got to be brutally honest about it some players don't pass the ball because they actually know they've got more chance of scoring if they take that player on and shooting than they have giving the ball to that kid because that kid's not as good as them.
0: it's harsh that's at older age groups would you say when when does that start that
1: starts quite early I think Right. especially at grassroots because you're going to have that difference in ability difficult to deal with i would have to say but then you do notice that player who will pass it to even though there's a player who they're passing to and we know that kid is the worst player in the group they still play that pass because it's the right pass it's like okay that's very noticeable but they've got years to to learn it but they don't need to make that the right decision at eight. Although it would be nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not. They're not. Stru- the brain's not structured to be able to do that. That you know, spatial awareness is um, out of premium, shall we say? Yeah. Um, and so, as you already alluded to, your head's down. You're trying to protect the ball. Uh, you're not necessarily seeing the bigger picture, and you know where, where passes are. Uh, and well, also, we- a lot of it's the movement of, off the ball as well. If the movement off the ball isn't there. Um, a player can quite often think that they're in space, but that space is blocked by another player. Yeah. And, you know, Hide, hiding,
1: hiding behind players is is, yeah. is something that I will try and talk to kids about because they go, as you're you're saying, I'm in space, yes, but there's no way that ball can ever actually get to you. And you might have to point that out. Yeah. Um, but you talk about how do my kids not getting the ball? Well, going back to maths. If we lessen the number of players on the field, 3v3, they're likely to get more touches of the ball. Mm. And I see that... I talked about the kids who are the better and stronger players asking for a big game. And at that point, you see the smaller, less able players at grassroots disappear. They become disengaged from the game. Mm difficult giving everyone what they want
0: so i'm going to get the maximum value out of this conversation uh, that i possibly can uh, it just so happens and this is not staged in any way shape or form that tomorrow night i was planning on working with my midfield three okay uh, so this sounds like a great opportunity to try and develop a uh, practice using 3v3 um skills games the the problem that uh, or the or the uh, what i'm trying to teach them uh, so, so let's step back So the uh, the formation that we're going to be playing We're just going into 11-a-side football We're playing 4-2-3-1 So I'm working with the three midfielders um, We've been working in the last few um, sessions About the three midfielders getting forward To support the lone striker Okay. And we now want to progress it on To yes, get forward To uh, support that striker But we also need you to come back And make it a 4-5-1 when we lose the ball So the... Once we started getting them to go forward and support, we got some good success, and we, we you know, we were learning that, and it's great. But then coming back wasn't as good. Um, so, what could you suggest, putting you on the spot massively, uh, a three v three game that can help them to um, both attack and defend?
1: So, there happen to be two games in the book called what I called midfielder game. Okay. Um, and the setup for one of them is. Uh, obviously a pitch with two goals at each end so four goal game and a line in the middle so on the left hand side one of the teams has a player locked in and they are locked in against a direct opponent on the right hand side a player is locked in and the other player is locked in against a direct opponent and you then have a player from each team who is able to move from both. side to side. Okay. So that's side to side movement, or movement to support when that ball is played in. So there's some side to side midfield play. However, midfielder game number two may be more relevant. So in this, the first game I'm describing, the line is um, vertical, dividing the pitch. The second game, you have a line that is horizontal, dividing the pitch into half. Same setup with a player locked in as a deeper player and a player locked in as a higher player. So you might call it a defensive midfielder and an attacking midfielder or centre forward. And then one player who can move between the two zones to, have, to support in both attack and defence. Okay. So that may chime in with what you're looking at as that player has to move backwards and forwards depending on what the ball is doing. You can adjust the rules whereby they're less fixed and the rules are you must have a player back here and so I say back here in the the defensive half and either of the players who've gone into the forward half can come back and defend but leave one up. Okay. So that may work with your players as a way of leading into a larger practice. Yeah. M- moving up and down the pitch to support or recover.
0: Got it. Okay. I was thinking. So, so what we did in the the more attacking phase, if you like, with those three players, is we divided a pitch into three. Um, we had a forward and then three midfielders behind. And when the ball went forward to the forward. Um, the goal didn't count unless there was three midfielders in the final third, which was good at getting them going that way, um, but not so good at getting them coming coming back this way. So what my, my ideas were that, that those two games, um, I'm definitely going to have a look at those when I get home, but um, I was thinking that um, the goal that you can see is worth three against you if you don't have three back. Um, so uh, if, if the pitch is into thirds mm-hmm. in the defensive third for for my team which would then be the attacking third for the, the other team if they get into that final third and score and you haven't got a single defender back that's three goals to them yeah. uh, if you've got one back it's two goals to them, if you've got two back it's one goal to them and if you get all three back then it's a draw
1: Yeah. there was a game that I used to use fairly similar um, you put the half in and you can't score unless all of your players are in the other half. So you've got that forward movement. Uh, Then you're talking about encouraging them to drop. You you use that rule. You've got the halfway line. If you've got everyone back, the goal might be neutralised, might be wiped out because they've got everyone back. Or it could be the goal's just worth one. Or you are minus a point for every player you've left in the other half when you have scored. Might also encourage fast counterattacking.
0: So and maybe player responsibility to make sure their teammates are coming back as well because yeah. they don't want to lose a point. Well, we've
1: got to remember as well that and they will if they're smart they'll work it out being in a half could just require a step.
0: Yeah. Either way. So I quite like the thirds because then there's, there's some definite movement that they have to make. And obviously my players, um, without going too deep into uh, you know one particular team, but uh, they're just about to go into 11-a-side football, so the pitch has suddenly got a lot that's, bigger. Yeah,
1: um, that's, that's what I was thinking about, the physicality yeah. involved. So you might be able to do do thirds for that mm. if physically they're able to get across. But if again, it depends on the ages. If, they, if they're younger players, a half might be enough, but a third might be okay if they're physically capable of, sort of getting backwards and forwards like that.
0: Okay. So if we were going to try and summarise our conversation today uh, as it relates to 3v3 football, what would you say the key points are? I think we had three is the minimum number of players that you can uh, get width and depth width with. Width and depth, yeah.
1: I mean, that's that's a big thing for me, is that the reason I'd gone for mathematics, very basic maths, 2v2 you can't get, third-man movement, you can't get width and depth, not realistically. Um, And then by going 3v3, the players involved are more likely to get more touches than they would 4v4. Yeah.
0: We had triangles. Obviously, you need three points to a triangle, so uh, that that lends itself nicely to 3v3. Uh, We had, from the coach's point of view, if you're trying to uh, teach a specific um, skill, to a player it's much easier to do that if you've only got six players to to watch at any given time and usually probably one team at a time so maybe only three players at a Mm. time than it is if you're trying to play 7v7 for example
1: working on the individual is coming out a lot in this conversation Um, you've got more opportunity to coach an individual in smaller numbers Um, and that individual will get more opportunities on the ball which hopefully that parent who's going my kid's not getting any touches or even that kid who's going I'm not getting to dribble you will in a 3v3 because it's quite hard to hide yeah it's quite hard to not be involved
0: yeah absolutely
1: and so we've got those chances to develop individual players and if you have got individual plans as well you can actually have a look at that player if that's the way you work might not be the way that you want to work with your kids it might just you might decide that 8 hey, they don't need a plan just let them play especially at
0: grassroots sounds good um, anything else what did we miss don't know i think that's everything okay Sure. Um, so this the, the main audience um for for the podcast and coaching youth football Uh, is grassroots coaches we have some professional coaches as well and we also have some grassroots parents so i'm just going to ask you the same question that i asked um, uh, our previous guest if you could start with a blank sheet of paper and uh, suddenly you're in charge of grassroots football in the uk what one piece of advice or what 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 one thing would you implement um, to the parents to the players and to the coaches one for each Something they could start doing, something they could stop doing.
1: For the the players, it would be just be free. Don't be afraid to look foolish. Because uh, I know that that holds back players quite a bit. I, I experienced it not that long ago. I was helping another coach with his age group at, at under 16. And... It was, a, it was a finishing session and they were turning down volleys because if they got it wrong, it was going to be flying. Like, who cares? Don't don't be worried. If they laugh, so what? They're not going to be laughing if you bang it in the top corner, are they? So be willing to look silly because what you try might be of huge benefit. For the parents, most people are going to end up saying the same thing. So I think the parents... Parents get a bad rap Rap sometimes. I've, I mean, my team have gone from under 12 to under 18 could not have done that without the parents being good. And by good, I mean they've been very understanding, they've been very patient. And that would probably be the advice. Try and understand what the coach is doing and be patient with your kids and the team. And for the coach, you can affect that by making sure that the parents actually know and understand what it is that you're trying to do.
0: Mm.
1: And if they can understand that you are going for the long-term approach, that you are trying to equip the kids with the required skills and techniques and thought processes to play the game for as long as possible, they may well buy in. But if you tell them nothing it's going to cause problems.
0: Uh, communication is massive, isn't it? And I think, I mean, you get some coaches that think it's none of the parents' business. I'm the coach. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, yeah. and you get others on the other end of the spectrum. I think the more you can communicate, the more they're going to understand what it looks like in the game and why it looks like that. And, and, and hopefully be on side. Yeah. What we do, what we do is we have a, a WhatsApp group, which has got the player, the parent and the coach in each, and there's one for each individual player. And so whenever we're communicating anything uh, to a player, whether it be a, um, a you know a personal performance plan or whether it be a, a particular session that we put on, and uh, when we're communicating that, it's obviously also going to the parent, and the parent can see that and they can understand what we're trying to work mm. on. Um, so yeah, I, I, would, I would echo that. That um, communication's massive. The, the only other
1: thing I would add for all three is... Beware premature professionalism, and... What do you mean by that? So, essentially, without getting too complicated or into that, people play football because they enjoy it. Don't lose sight of that. Mm. Make sure they still enjoy it. Um, Don't be that kid's last coach.
0: Yeah, it's great point.
1: So make sure they they are having fun and enjoying it, no matter what age. Because you might have all these technical plans and all these performance plans and syllabuses and all that's brilliant, but if they don't want to come back, you just might as well chuck it in the bin. Yeah. Make sure they want to come back.
0: Yeah, football should be fun. Yeah, absolutely. We shouldn't lose sight of that. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time today. I uh, really appreciate it. When is your new book out? Um, do you have a date yet?
1: Before the end of the year. Okay. That's, the, that's You're not the saying end. which year, I
0: notice. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: before the end of 2019. I, okay. I, without wanting to sound, all like this was cynically planned, I want it to be ready before Christmas.
0: Okay.
1: And that's not because, all Christmas sales. No, it's just because... I'm thinking back to when I did the first book and the time I started it and when it became available. And that was, it became available in October time. Now I'm actually a month or two uh, later than I was starting it this time round. So that would put it around Christmas time.
0: Fantastic. So um, if uh, people wanted to buy your book, where's the best place to get it? The easiest
1: place is Amazon. Okay. But because of the way that because it's um, print-on-demand, you can go to Waterstones um, online. You can go to Smiths online. If you type it in, it will come up, because I know there's some people who uh, have an Amazon version.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't... I. I use them a lot so developing skill a guide to 3v3 soccer coaching by peter prickett um, amazon and all other good bookshops and some rubbish ones as well i'm sure peter thanks very much for your time today really appreciate it uh, thanks for being on coaching youth football thanks for having me